Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. This is the second episode in our series on black maternal mortality. The Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade has already led to abortion bans and restrictions in states neighboring Illinois. Like most health care inequities, restricted access to abortion care will hit poor people and people of color the hardest. Maternal mortality is six times higher among black Chicagoans than their white counterparts, according to a 2019 report from the Chicago Department of Public Health. So we're going to dig into what this means for health care providers and their patients with Dr. Sadia Haider, the director of the Division of Family Planning at Rush University Medical Center. And Sarah Bovat is a health analyst at Mathematica. Dr. Heider, how would you describe the state of black maternal health in Illinois? Yes, um, I would highlight that uh, black maternal health has been um, significantly a significant issue in our state and in our city of Chicago with very significant gaps um, in access to care um, and many factors that limit access to care that has resulted in uh, worse outcomes for black mothers. Um, with significantly higher rates of maternal morbidity and mortality mm-hmm. um, in Chicago, higher than other parts of the country even, even though the national numbers also aren't great. Um, but I would say we have even a worse situation here. Sarah, can you talk about what this health disparity looks like here in Chicago? Definitely. I mean, I would love to continue to reinforce that, you know, Black women in the United States as a whole experience the highest maternal morbidity and pregnancy-associated mortality rates, um, and these rates definitely hold for Chicago as well. Um, in particular, you know, black mortality and morbidity rates remain a particularly urgent issue in Chicago. Mm-hmm. The city experiences spatial inequities when it comes to having quality health care and accessing healthy water and food sources and suffering um, exposure to pollution and other social determinants of health. And for those wondering what the social determinants of health are, there are things like housing and transportation and food access that contribute to someone's health outcomes. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I would say, you know, specifically, you know, a 2019 Chicago Department of Public Health report included a city map that reveals zip codes on the south side experiencing increased maternal morbidity rates as well as increased economic hardship, while more north side zip codes experience neither. And I think that really reflects Chicago's you know, history of redlining and segregation. So mm-hmm. on on an individual level, yeah. then, Dr. Heider, how do yeah. healthcare inequities play out for a, a pregnant Black person? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, you just heard about the South Side of Chicago and sort of the general disparity in our city in terms of uh, resources life expectancy and all of that. Yeah, it changes based on your zip code. Can you hear me? Yes. I I used to work at the, I actually worked on the South of Chicago prior to my current job here. We have similar issues on the West side, but there has been a trend toward even less access in those neighborhoods because of closing of many maternity care centers or hospitals. So what we call maternity deserts, um, which have worsened this problem. And so with, as a clinician, we see, you know, patients in our, in our healthcare system that present to 
the one big hospital on the south side or even some of the west side hospitals with patients that haven't gotten prenatal care, that have worsening um, chronic conditions, that haven't been adequately either um, treated or have been continuing to be treated throughout their course of their pregnancy. We see all of the significant complications during pregnancy and afterwards, including higher rates of hypertensive disorders that cause significant maternal morbidity and mortality. We see um, a number of pre you know, preterm delivery rates are higher. So these, um, the implications of the inequities really manifest in the clinical care that we do, and we do our best as clinicians to intervene when we can mm -hmm. and, and support the patient as best as we can. But ultimately, there's, this, um, there's much more that's needed prior to a patient becoming pregnant and throughout the pregnancy to ensure um, optimal outcomes. And that's, that's just not happening. Well, you know, as a, as a black woman myself, I know this to be particularly true. We've also heard of celebrities speak out uh, about the issue. Serena Williams, uh, Beyonce has mm -hmm. even talked about it. Why is it that black women are taken less seriously in the doctor's office? Yeah. Especially when it comes to and pain and so forth. Yeah as, a, yeah. as a community, we are actively, medical community, we are realizing that this is a real issue. I think there are many inherent biases in our medical system. Um, you know, just, there are, just as there are biases throughout our, our um, community otherwise, there are significant biases that we bring to medicine in our training and the way we interact with patients um, that are not necessarily um, have the same education level or cultural background. And we recognize that because of this, um, our lens of how we interact with a patient may be different. And we're recognizing that there are differences in how patients are heard and seen um, because of biases that exist. We also know that there's um, you know long history of of coercive practices in medicine that have affected um, the trust relationship between the patient and the um, the provider, um, and so these are really deep rooted issues in our um, medical system yeah. that we have to actively work on, and so we really have to do a lot of sort of uncon you know bias training, unconscious bias training, and actively create systems that prevent um, you know these situations where patients aren't heard, regardless of socioeconomic background. You know, like like you said, those examples are of patient of Serena Williams, you know, that is a really great example that yeah. has nothing to do with her socioeconomic status but other factors. Exactly. Sarah, in, in our last segment, we, we spoke about the 1115 waiver, which expands mm -hmm. Medicaid coverage in Illinois from, from 60 days to, to 12 months postpartum. You have written about its shortcomings. What are the intended benefits of expanding coverage like this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, to reiterate, you know, um, last year on April 12, 2021, Illinois became the first state to expand Medicaid coverage from 60-day postpartum to 12-month postpartum through um, its approved Illinois continu Continuity of Care and Administrative Simplification 1115 waiver. And you know, that Medicaid waiver demonstration allowed Illinois to provide full Medicaid state plan benefits to postpartum women with incomes up to 208% of the federal poverty level for 12 months postpartum under the state plan. And the state will also provide continuous eligibility for women during the entire postpartum period. And the goal and intended benefit is to address the high rates of maternal morbidity and pregnancy-associated mortality in the state. But I think what this doesn't specifically say is that these high rates are disproportionately experienced by black pregnant individuals. Mm -hmm. 
So, so where do you see room for improvement? Like, what what can't this waiver change? Mm-hmm. Well, first, it's definitely important to name that expanding Medicaid coverage is essential. In the two-year period from 2016 to 2017, captured by the 2019 Chicago Department of Public Health report that I referenced earlier, yeah. out of the 78% of the pregnancy-associated deaths that occurred after delivery, only 28% took place within the immediate postpartum period of 42 days. So it's definitely clear that expanding Medicaid to recover a longer span of the postpartum period is imperative to improving outcomes. Um, but I would say, however, you know, while expanding Medicaid coverage to 12 months postpartum reflected a really critical step forward, this alone is not enough to avert Black pregnancy-associated deaths altogether. For a lot of the reasons that Dr. Heider was naming, you know, the policy will only addresses the issues of access related to the social determinants of health um, and not the heavily embedded biases rooted in the anti-Black structural racism that's demonstrated in our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Are other states making efforts like this, Sarah? Yeah, other states have begun implementing Medicaid expansion uh, of coverage to 12 months postpartum as well. Um, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation Medicaid postpartum coverage extension tracker that anyone can look up easily online, 19 states, including D.C., have implemented a 12-month extension implementation, while 12 other states plan to implement an extension. Dr. Heider, there are efforts to expand postpartum Medicaid coverage in Illinois and beyond. How much will that help, though? How much of this inequity is about health insurance coverage? Yeah, I mean, I think to a degree there is, um, you know, some impact. Insurance helps get patients in the door. However, much of what we're seeing in this postpartum period where a lot of, um, where patients have increased rates of maternal morbidity or mortality after delivery or other issues that come up around, um, say, uh, social determined health factors that were just discussed, um, we just aren't, even with the insurance, we're not linking them to the care they need. Um, so even with insurance, we need some systems in place to help them access the care. I spoke of the maternity desert earlier. One of the big issues is that just if you don't have geographic availability of care, patients that are already under-resourced have to travel further, find ways to get there, figure out child care. Like, there are many other factors that play into what happens to a patient postpartum and how they access care. So the insurance piece is helpful. It will help ensure that for a longer period of time they can access care if they can reach it. Um, I think contraception is a great example of this. For patients who desire contraception, they have a longer window of time if their Medicaid is you know, active for them to get that care. But again, often it's because they're, they're not even presenting sometimes to get the care mm-hmm. for many other reasons. So I think it's a it's, a, it's helpful, but there are so many other factors that have to be looked into to facilitate accessing timely, you know, patient-centered care to improve some of these outcomes. Well, you know, here here's another wrench in, in things. Abortion's already been banned or severely mm-hmm. restricted in states near Illinois. That's in, including Missouri, uh, Wisconsin, too. You know, how, how will the overturning of Roe v. Wade now impact these existing inequities for, for Black people who live in states with yeah. trigger bans. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. That's something that I am very, very passionate about. Um, I think that ultimately we know that these inequities already exist in 
um, communities of color and black women in particular um, significantly impacted. And these bans will significantly exacerbate these inequities. So ultimately, we know that even just the abortion care that we had, we had prior to these restrictions was disproportionately accessed by um, patients that were low income. 75% of patients that accessed abortion care were below the federal poverty level, below 100% of the poverty level. And many of them were uh, black and um, patients of color. Um, and this is because they um, were not able to access, say, for example, contraception or get timely um, other resources or care that could help them have the families they chose. And with that, we know that now if those patients are no longer able to get the abortion care that they need, they, if they are forced to continue pregnancies in situations where they're already getting inequitable maternity care, these healthcare outcomes that we see are going to will significantly increase these negative outcomes. We also know from data that um, basically where you have restrictive legislation, maternal mortality rates are already higher. So there's, um, there's, there's a study done where they looked at various states' legislative practices around abortion over a period of time, and those states had the highest rates of maternal morbidity and mortality as compared to those with less restrictions, and mostly because the those states also did not have Medicaid expansion, also did not have supportive practices and policies around maternity care. And again, this will all disproportionately affect lower-income yeah. patients, patients of color, black women in particular. What are your thoughts on, on this, Sarah? You know, abortion is, is still legal in Illinois. Do you see this uh, impacting black maternal health here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with Dr. Heider's point that, uh, you know, the you know, issues of access have already been um, occurring for neighborhoods of color um, and individuals of color, especially um, for Black individuals. And I think, of course, with any uh, a risk to access even further, um, you know, these disparities will only continue, and it, it's definitely, um, you know, a concerning um, a risk to access. Yeah. Well, what are you watching for in future? Yeah, I think it's worth noting that, you know, beyond the clear health benefits to pregnant individuals and their children um, with expanding access, you know, there is also a lot of evidence about the economic cost to um, the society of not providing adequate coverage and care for maternal health. And so actually my, my colleagues at Mathematica recently partnered with the Commonwealth Fund to estimate the total maternal morbidity cost of all U.S. births in 2019. This came out to be about $32.3 billion from conception to the child's fifth birthday. And that $32 billion figure includes medical costs for things like maternal mental health conditions and gestational diabetes, but also includes non-medical costs for things like lost work productivity. So I think, you know, what, you know, listeners should know and look for is that, you know, addressing maternal morbidity through policy and system change, you know, we can prevent deaths as well as chronic illnesses that can have ongoing compounded effects. Yeah. Dr. Heider, what positive changes are you seeing in policies uh, or or institutions, and and what else do you want to see? Yeah, great question. I mean, I will say I feel very lucky to be in Illinois um, with overall very supportive environment for, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of work to be done, but specifically around abortion care and access. Um, and we will do our best to continue to provide that access to all patients um, and those traveling to us. Um, at Rush, we are actively working on creating a 
a system for that. Um, but beyond that, as far as specific to maternal health and uh, what we are doing um, is called birth equity work, you know, our institution and many others around the city are part of a Illinois perinatal quality collaborative, which specifically has taken this past year to stop and take a pause and say, what are we, how do we even start looking at this issue? And the first thing is looking at the data. Yeah. So we really need to start looking at the data in a very disaggregated way, in a way that really um, highlights the, the, you know, the disparity um, across uh, all these different factors, race, socioeconomics, et cetera, to really find out where is the system breaking down? Where are, the, where are those outcomes and where, where are the poor outcomes? When are they happening? What are they? How can we intervene? So that we weren't even looking at our data that way. And so that's one of the first steps we've taken at Rush and many other, other um, sites across the state are doing the same. We, I mentioned the whole issue around medical trust and bias, and we are doing a lot of active training, mm-hmm. actively training our staff and our um, just our institutions to have, you know, not just the traditional unconscious bias training, but really looking at training around communication, doing this from a, you know, a holistic um, lens of saying, like, what is the harm caused by not adequately training your staff and yeah. communicating appropriately with your patients. Very important. Um, and the last thing is we have some healthcare programs we've set up. We are a pilot program for something called the Family Connects program. There are four other sites, as my understanding, around the city in which we are doing a home visiting program with nursing. And so a lot of what this what, what this is pushing us to do is to think about innovative ways to reach patients where they're at. Yeah. Like, if they can't come to us, how can we meet them where they're at? So our nursing program goes to patients' homes, all women, all patients postpartum, um, including all on Medicaid, but others as well, Mm -hmm. and does a home visit where we can look into all of these issues that might be arising, health-related, social determinants of health-related, you know, even with the baby, checking in with the baby. So these are things that we're doing. I think what what I'd like to see is doing this at a greater um, level and doing more thinking more innovatively and creating more programs yeah. to meet patients where they're at. On a bigger scale. Yeah, Dr. Sadia Heider is the director of the Division of Family Planning at Rush University Medical Center. And Sarah Bovat is a health analyst at Mathematica. Thank you both. That's it for today's Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for spending your time with us. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow to get caught up on all the major headlines this week during our weekly news recap. See you then. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.